Today we read from John 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited also to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Thank you, David. Well, good morning. It's been a good summer. I've been uh, going to a lot of weddings this summer. And it's been a treat. And one of the things that I'm reminded of as I, as I attend these weddings, and then I, I've been joining some people together also in marriage, uh, I'm reminded that God loves marriage. Absolutely loves it. His beautiful creation. And that He loves to be right in the center of our marriages. And I wanted to bring you down a little trip down memory lane. Uh, Jesus was uh, at our wedding uh, in Palo Alto, California, and I wanted to show you a little bit of that journey. Look at this young couple. I was excited about the wedding. Kino was excited too, a little nervous. And all of our friends and family who stood by our side to support. Ken Halcom, one of our elders, was with me. Kina can't take her eyes off me. Look at that. Once, once again, you'll notice, can't take her eyes off me. Then we went to the party to celebrate. And we danced and we had a sweet time. Hold this picture for a minute. So this is, this is my godfather, John Fisher. John Fisher is a Christian artist. And he showed up and he, he did all the music for us. And there's, a, there's an old song called Sherry Baby uh, that was uh, sung a long time ago. Sherry Baby, Sherry, won't you come out tonight? Anyway, <laughs> so he switched that to Kena Baby and we rocked to Kena Baby and enjoyed that. Go ahead, keep moving on. But we had an incredible celebration with the cake. And hold this picture one minute. Now, I know it looks like I'm being cruel, but really, she hammered me uh, with the cake. I finally got it off uh, my face. You know, the one thing we didn't realize after the wedding was that you only do this at weddings. Like, every time we would have cake, we would do this to each other, shove it in each other's face. <laughs> Someone told us finally, no, that's only at weddings you do that. So... We had a great celebration and the banquet and lots of good food and my brother giving a toast and it was a wonderful day in the Lord. The fighting for the flowers and the guys, no one wanted that. <laughs> and then our friends who got it and they actually ended up being married together. So they both won and they came true. 
and then our friends from Westmont who came out to Palo Alto. And just hold that picture there for a minute. That's my beautiful bride, 21 years. God loves. Yeah. Amen. Lord's really helped me to, to love her, you know. It's been a, quite a hard journey, but I've done it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm in big trouble when I get home. It's all right. It's okay. God loves marriage. He loves this. And he loves his beautiful creation. Thank you, you can set that down. From the beginning of time, it's interesting as you read the Bible that the Bible, which I like to refer to as God's love letter, because that's really what it is. It's God's love letter to us. How to come into relationship with him, who loves us so much that he wants to have life with us, that he wants us to know his son Jesus, that he sent the Savior to die on the cross for our sin so that we might have life and that we might be in relationship with God. All of the Bible is his love letter. I want relationship with my beloved, my children. And I will figure out ways to make it happen. And I will have my son pay that price. But the love letter of Jesus starts in the garden, doesn't it? And it starts with this beautiful marriage that takes place between Adam and Eve. Perfect, intentional, God-given, God-made. What God has joined together, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. It's his creation. It starts in the garden perfect, and guess where it ends? In Revelation, we see the ending of the Bible, the love letter, with marriage. The bridegroom, Christ, who will come for his bride, us, the church. And there will be perfect marriage. And we'll be in union with our Lord and Savior. That's the scriptures. God loves marriage. And it was from the beginning, his heart for marriage. Marriage is valuable to the Lord. It's, it's of extreme importance. It's of incredible worth. Marriage has an amazing spiritual depth that we don't even grasp. It reveals this intimacy that, that the Father has in His relationship with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. It reveals how much He loves us. You know, when you think about how much you love your spouse, and it goes deep, and we only get a glimpse of the incredible love the Father has for us. And those of you right over here, newly married, you guys know that right now, don't you? You go, thank you, God. I love this woman. And, and your love for me is so much more. Marriage does that. It reveals the beauty of God and His intimacy and the relationship that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have. And so John chapter 2 brings us right into the middle of a wedding, a wonderful celebration. And Jesus is right in the middle of it all. And it's this, this place in Cana that Jesus will perform his first miracle. And it's not by chance. Let me remind you of why the Gospel of John was written. At the end of the Gospel of John... 
It says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That you may believe that He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. That's why it was written. And then the miracle at Cana has purpose. Again, Jesus just didn't happen to show up and, oh, I'll throw out a miracle today. It tells us in verse 11, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. His glory, who he is, the Son of God. And in doing that, he revealed the Father, the Holy God who loves his people. And he revealed his nature and their relationship. So glory happened, and look what happens in verse 11. And the disciples believed in him. There's purpose for these miracles. God's glory revealed, not just spoken about this is the Messiah, but God is revealing himself through his miracles. And people, as they see who he is, they're believing in Jesus. And that's what takes place in Cana. So let's join this wedding celebration. Let's enter in into John chapter 2. The scriptures say it was three days afterwards that there was a wedding. I think the three days is referring to Jesus was out calling disciples and he just beforehand had called Nathaniel to himself. And after that calling of his disciples, he headed out to Cana of Galilee. And so I, I believe that it's referring to three days before Nathaniel followed and then they head out, the disciples do, to Cana. I want to show you, remind you of where Cana is to this wedding feast. Jesus spent a lot of time north of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum and in Bethsaida and Chorazin. And then we have over here to the west, Magdala, Mary of Magdala. And then he traveled from that region uh, kind of just to the west of the sea and he comes over to Cana of Galilee. And that's about 17, 18 miles that he went to the west. And this is where the wedding took place. And we were just there in Cana, and I just wanted to share uh, what that looks like today. There's a beautiful church there, and we visited in Cana. And the scriptures say that Jesus was invited here to this place of Cana. There was a wonderful wedding celebration. And this church today uh, represents and is in the location of Cana uh, to symbolize uh, where this beautiful event uh, took place. The communities were tight-knit, right? Bethsaida, which is, means fishing town. Bethsaida had maybe about 200 people in that community. All the area around Galilee, people were close. And there was community, and they knew each other, and they knew of events. And here's what, the, again, the scriptures say. To this place, Jesus was invited to a wedding ceremony, to a marriage. I love that. I love just that image. Jesus was invited. You you see, people like Jesus. People love to be around him. And he loved to be with people. And he loved to celebrate. He loved to tell stories. Maybe he told some good jokes. There was lots of laughter, lots of life when you're around Jesus. 
But Jesus was invited. People loved to spend time with Jesus. And he shows up. And it was in the middle of this marriage, this wedding ceremony. And he shows up to the wedding with wedding gifts. He doesn't come empty-handed, and we'll talk about those gifts in a little bit. But I just love that very fact. And, and when we join together in all of this summer, as we do weddings and as we celebrate together as followers of Christ, we say this wedding is before the Lord. It's a holy covenant before the Lord and before these witnesses, right? And we are joining these two together in the love of Christ and in the power of Christ that the two shall become one. And it's all under Christ. And Christ has been invited to this wedding. One of the things I was thinking about as I was thinking about marriages was what does that look like for us now in our marriages? Some who have gone a lot of journey, a lot of days together. I hope Christ was not just invited to the wedding. I hope he's been invited into your marriage on a daily basis. You've got two sinners trying to figure out how to love each other, trying to go deeper in in knowing the Lord and trying to love each other as well. And if Christ is not invited into that marriage, then we struggle. Have you left Christ at the altar just that one day? Or have you truly invited Jesus into your marriage? You know, sometimes along the journey, we we forget. We get doing life on our own. And I hope this story of the the marriage at Cana just reminds you to invite Jesus into your marriage. Hey, honey, let's be praying about these things. Hey, let's, let's seek the word together. As a husband, what does the word have to say about life and how to love? As a wife, how can I be with my husband and love him well? Let's invite Christ into the marriage. The scriptures say Jesus was invited, and his mother Mary was there. She was there, I think, there's an indication that maybe this wedding was some sort of family relationship. Maybe a cousin. And Mary's job, like many family uh, relations, she was sort of in charge of the wedding. She seemed to be the one who maybe was taking care, getting food out, and, and just helping to make it be a great day. You know, we need those people, right, when we, when we get married. There's a lot to be done. And so it seems that she is sort of the one responsible for that. And so probably some sort of family relationship, this marriage that was taking place in Cana. So she is there. I think it's interesting, too, that there's no mention of Joseph. We we have some pretty clear ideas that Joseph died pretty young in Jesus' life, and he's no longer in the picture. So here's Mary, a single woman, at the wedding of some family member and trying to enter in to this celebration of marriage. Now I want to set the scene because because marriage and the wedding celebration was a big deal. Just like it is for you guys who just got married this summer. It's a big deal. 
you got to understand, again, as I showed the map of Cana, there's, there's all these communities, and everybody is pretty connected. And to have a ceremony was such a big thing that, that they would invite the communities and the friends and the family. They wanted people to come and celebrate. They had been betrothed to one another for over a year. And so there was a longing to finally be married in a covenant before God with all of the community. It was no little thing. And so the bride and groom would finally come together and typical of a marriage ceremony, they would invite those in the community that they knew and loved and from all around the region. And it was a community affair that people would know what was going on. And a typical wedding would start kind of midweek on a Wednesday. And it would go from two days to seven days. But you know what? Typically, normally, it was a week-long wedding that would just go on and on and on. For the bride and groom, because you know how this is, when they just get married, they kind of want to go be together, don't they? People were sticking around for a week, you know? (laughs) This is what's going on at the wedding, but the celebration kept going on and on and on. It was a big deal. And they would celebrate and enjoy. And what would happen, they'd come together and they would have have an amazing banquet. And then after the banquet would be the ceremony. Always the ceremony before holy God. And then the union would finally take place, official. You are now together, husband and wife. And so they would be married, and then from that place, then the celebration would go on. And there'd be more eating and enjoying of wine and celebrating and dancing and more eating and dancing and celebrating. And then they would take, they would take every night, however long the ceremony would go, they would, they would parade the bride and groom throughout the streets around the area of Cana and they would carry them and they would dress them in their wedding robes and they would go through and they would carry candles and light and celebrate the bride and the groom and the marriage. If you were invited to the wedding, you knew. You knew that this would be a deal where, you know what, work is done for the week. We are going to go celebrate this beautiful holy covenant before God, and we're going to do it together as a community. We need community in marriage, don't we? We need each other by our side. And this is what would take place in the villages around Galilee in a Jewish ceremony. And so they would celebrate and celebrate, and the joy would go on and on, and, and, and the wine would be served, and it would be an incredible day, an incredible week, with friends and before the Lord. And so right in the middle of this festival of joy, a problem arises. Here's what the scriptures say. Mary shows up. There's an amazing celebration going on. And Mary, who was there, the mother of Jesus, said to him, They have no wine. They have run out. And you go, What's the big deal? What's the big deal? And here's what you need to understand about this passage. This was a huge deal. 
Wine was the rabbinical symbol for joy. All throughout the Jewish villages, wine equals joy. Boyce says this, that when there would be no wine, if it was to run out, it would be almost to say the equivalent of admitting that neither the guest nor the bride or groom were happy at any means, by any means. It was rude beyond all measure to run out of wine at a wedding celebration. Could you imagine, just to give you maybe modern day, of how it would affect the family and your reputation. Could you imagine when Keena and I got married, and typically the, the, the groom's side of the family kind of takes care of the rehearsal dinner and pays for those types of things. And let's say we go out to a really nice restaurant, and all our family, and my father and mother are there, and, and our side of the family is there, an incredible meal, is served before us, expensive and, and very good. And then what if my father was to say towards the end of the meal, yeah, if you could just do individual checks for the people at the table. Could you imagine? Could you imagine your reputation and what people would say? You've got to understand something about first century Jewish villages. It was a shame-based culture the shame of running out of wine would stick with this couple literally for the rest of their lives. It would be talked about and talked about and talked about again. Oh, remember the one wedding of the Richies? Oh, yeah, I remember. It would keep getting brought up. It was social suicide to run out of wine, truly. It was no little thing you read through the text, oh, they ran out of wine. Well, that's too bad. But not in this community. The joy would be gone. And it was, it was the groom's responsibility, it was his responsibility, to make sure that there was enough wine. That was his one task. She took care of the invitations, you take care of the wine. Now, could you imagine that first week of marriage with your new bride, and you ran out of wine? That's not a good week. Shame. The culture, the community wants nothing to do with you. You're embarrassed. And your new bride is going, how do we even begin this journey together? I, I'm trying to give you an example of this is a big thing. This is no little circumstance that just happened. Oh, another couple ran out of wine. No, it doesn't happen. It's not okay. And it would be absolute shame upon that family and incredibly rough start. And then Mary shows up, so she brings the problem to Jesus. She brings it to Jesus. Why does she do that? Why would she come with a situation that, hey, listen, we're out of wine. You know, I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, Jesus grew up with Mary in the home, and so maybe at home he practiced these party tricks, you know, as Jesus. Hey, I want to work on a little water to the wine kind of a thing. So maybe Mary had seen that. I think, there, I think it's a big question. Why did Mary come to Jesus with this problem? Think about Mary for a minute. Think about her reputation. 
Most people were saying she was attacked by a Roman soldier, and therefore that's where that baby came from. Others were saying Mary and Joseph hooked up together, and that's where that baby came from. Her whole reputation, her whole life was shamed. Do you understand that? People looked upon her with disgust. And you wonder if that day when she brought it to Jesus, a couple things. One, maybe because Mary is full of grace and learning to trust in the Lord. Maybe she doesn't want that shame passed on to this couple because she's lived with it her whole life. The other is, maybe she is hoping that her reputation might shift if Jesus was to step in and reveal himself on who he really is. She knew who he was. And to maybe protect and guard and bring her reputation back to wholeness again. So she comes to Jesus. We don't know exactly why. But I think some of those things play into the text. And she says, Jesus, this incredible shame is going to fall upon this couple. They're out of wine. They're out of wine. It's an interesting response, isn't it, of what Jesus says. Woman, what does this have to do with me? How does this concern me? My time has not yet come. What kind of response is that? Here, Jesus, we're out of wine. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Keena and I were preparing for some guests coming over a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was sitting on the couch and watching a little TV, and she was trying to get the house ready. And, and she said, Rod, would you get the garbage taken out for the guests before they come? And because I'm so biblical, I said, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come to take out the garbage. Go ahead, fellas, try that at home. Now, you know, when you read it, you go, This is a rude response. It feels rude. It feels like you're just attacking your mom. Uh, it plays out that way when you first, when first blush. But it's not that at all. Woman, which actually was a term that was used for mother. Some say, oh, it was a very endearing term, woman. it, It can be endearing. I don't think it was in this case. I don't think it was, again, attacking of his mother. But I think he was speaking to her in a way that was firm, but that was starting to bring truth into this new relationship This is a significant moment right here at Cana of Galilee at the wedding feast between Jesus and the Messiah, her son. It was a transition from son to savior. Woman, mom, it really does have an idea of, I love you, you are a dear woman. But now I am living in the will of the Father And I think it's a reminder from Jesus on that day at that wedding, our relationship is changing now, Mom. 
And I now am in direct relationship with the will of the Father. My ministry is beginning. All that you know who I am called to be, I am called to be the Savior. My time has not yet come. The direction of what I do in life now does not come from you anymore, Mom. It doesn't. I love you, but I'm not living for you. I'm living for the Father, and I'm obedient to his will. It's a powerful day, I think, for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Woman, this doesn't concern me. It's not necessarily the direction that God the Father is taking me. My time has not yet come. I'm slowly revealing myself. And so he speaks to his dear mother at that moment. And I love Mary's response. Again, this is how we know that it wasn't this harsh response to her. Plus, you know what? Quite honestly, Jesus wouldn't do that to his mom. Why? Because he doesn't sin. He's not going to disrespect her. He's not going to treat her as second class. He's not going to look down upon her. Why? Because that's not the way Jesus works. So I think with tenderness in his heart, he establishes this new relationship, son to savior. And her response is, do whatever he tells you to do. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and which Mary was, by the way, not only mother, but disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. Do whatever he says. Isn't that the call upon us as followers? I want to live in obedience to what my Savior is telling me. Do whatever he says. And so they respond. And he speaks forth. Okay, this is what I want to do. And now comes the miracle. And Jesus shows up and he brings these gifts. Here's what I love about Jesus. Right in the middle of this crazy situation, he knows the need. Do you understand? Jesus knows how this will play out on this young couple. He knows the need. Just like today, wherever you're at, and you're crying out to God, he knows your need. He knows your need for a job. He knows your need for his touch upon your broken body. He knows your need. And right in the middle of this wedding, he knows the need. With incredible love behind the scenes, and the gift he brings is his provision. His provision for this young couple who would have been shamed. And I was thinking about that shame. I was like, you know what the Lord did? Not only did he provide the wine, not only did he provide the wine, but you know what? He covered that shame, didn't he? He took it. He covered it. That shame won't be on you. I take it. And he provided for that beautiful young couple on that amazing day of the wedding feast. And he brings to the wedding, he opens up the gift, and he says, here's my provision, and here is everything of me for your life. It's abundant. You know, he tells the guy, he says, listen, I want you to go, and I want you to grab these six water pots, and I want you to fill them to the full. You see, that's the way God works, through his son, Jesus. We, we, we sometimes, you know, keep depending on a half-empty jar. That's not the way the Lord is. I've come to give you life, John 10.10, and I have come to give it to you in abundance, full life, full life, full of him. For every circumstance that's going on, whether we're struggling or whether we're celebrating, 
full life. Fill those jars to the full because that's who I am. To the woman at the well, you know, if you were just to drink of this well, of this water, you would still thirst again. But if you are to drink of me, if you knew who I was, you would have living water. And what does John 4 say? Like a a spring that keeps bubbling over. It never ends. Because that's who Jesus is. Do you thirst as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Drink of him. He provides it all. And not only does he provide it all, he provides the very best, doesn't he? Provides the very best. It becomes from water into wine, and wine that is the best of the best. We keep drinking wine in a box. I don't know why. There's such better wine out there. And we're content with wine in a box. He's like, I give you my very best of life, which is all of me living through you. He's our provision. He is our abundance. He is our joy. He is our life. He is the one who knows our needs. And he fills us full of his life. And he takes that shame and he covers it. This was the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Galilee. And why did he do them? To reveal his glory. What took place that day? Those won't weren't just ordinary water pots, were they? They were pots that were for ceremonial cleansing. You would go and you would wash so that you would be pure before God before you went in to worship. You had to be clean. He took those water jars, the ceremonial ones, of ritual and of the law and of the weight and the burden of the law And what did he do? He revealed himself right here. Ready? I am the one who fulfills the law. I am the one who brings a new covenant. It is not by doing all this ritual anymore that you have life. It is by belief in me, the God of provision, the God of life, the God of joy. And when you believe upon me, you have real life. So many times throughout our Christian journey, we keep trying to take the, wa- the wine and turn it back into water. We do. This wine, this freedom in Christ, this life in Christ, I want to turn it back into water and the ritual so that I can say, oh, I did all the steps to get right with God. And he's saying, believe upon me and live in my life. Let me be the one who meets your needs. I provide for you. I've forgiven you. I've given you life. Believe upon my son, Jesus. Right here, what is revealed is new covenant, new life in Christ. It's not the old way of all of the rules. And what happens? The disciples believe. Jesus showed up that day at the wedding. He loves marriage. He created it. He loves to bless marriage. In your marriages, you need to know that he's your provision. You need to know that he knows your needs right now. Deep needs that you have of each other, he knows that. And he wants to, to meet that and to fill that. He wants to bring joy into your marriage. He wants you to invite him into your marriage. 
And as disciples of Christ, as disciples of Christ, each of us individually, this is who our Lord is. He is the God of abundant provision. He is the God who steps into our needs. He is the God who brings joy to our life. He is the God who walks through the mess, the troubles of life. This whole situation could have been a big mess. This wedding could have fallen apart real quick. Stepped right in the middle of that. That's who our God is. Invite him. Invite him into your life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your good word and for your truth and for your life. And I thank you that you showed up in Cana of Galilee to reveal yourself. And Lord, I just really pray that you do a great work in our midst, that you work in our marriages, that your joy would be poured out, your abundance, that we would seek you to work in our lives together in marriage. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would seek you, that we would thirst after you alone, knowing that you're the only one who can quench our thirst. You're the only one who can meet our needs, our deepest needs, Father. So, Father, we just praise you and give you all the glory in your beautiful name. Amen. Hey, let me, um, let me just share uh, again about, about just marriage. And I want to come right back to the fact that God loves marriage. And here's, here's the deal with us as pastors and as elders of Cole Community Church. We, we love marriage. And we strive, we strive to keep working on our own marriages and we strive... To, to encourage and to, to give truth to your marriages. Because, again, they're valuable before God. But here's the truth. Marriages in our family, in our church family, and I know in other church families, are getting hit in all directions. And marriages are struggling. And marriages are failing. And it seems like the enemy is winning. And God has really laid upon our hearts as elders and as staff that, that we need to be uh, stepping in at a deeper level. We need to engage in the marriages of Cole Community Church at all stages of marriage, from the beginning to the end. But we need to engage and, and, and love and bring truth and bring light to marriage and, and bring God's health into marriage. And we just feel like the Lord is saying, hey, uh, it's time to be more proactive in life together as a community and with our marriages. Because so often what happens is we kind of catch the tail end of a broken marriage and somehow we're trying to fix it at the tail end and it's hard. And so we're saying, Lord, we want to step in and walk along the whole journey and, and have marriage be at the forefront and in our conversation and that we understand together that marriage is a journey, and it's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work. It's incredible joy, and it has incredible depth, and intimacy goes deeper. It can go deeper. It takes a lot of investment, a lot of sacrifice, learning to surrender, learning to be humble. And we want to acknowledge, as a church family, we want to give you the freedom to just say, you know what? Our marriage is really hurting. There's no shame there. There's no shame. If you hide in that, if you hide in a broken marriage, 
the enemy is just going to keep nailing you. And you get no support, and you get no life, and you just feel stuck. And then usually the marriage breaks. We don't want to keep going down that path with you guys. We love you too much, and it grieves the heart of the Lord as it grieves us. And so we just, even starting this morning, just want to say, hey, we want you to have the freedom to come and say, we need help. We're not doing very well. We want to do well, but we're not doing very well. And that's an okay place to be. And so in light with that, what the elders have asked is that I would take some leadership in, in developing a marriage ministry with my beautiful bride. And we're going to put together a team of, of about five or six couples that will help us, that will help us to, to, to take some direction, to take steps, to come up with ways that we can engage. We don't have that figured out. We're just starting. But we really covet your prayers uh, as we do this because we value, like the Lord does, his beautiful covenant and creation of marriage. And, and we want to walk through this journey with you. And we need each other. We do. And so this is where we're headed together. And a little bit of transition for me. Uh, I, Josh and I have been overseeing growth groups together. Uh, and Josh is going to take over the oversight of growth groups. So as you have uh, growth group questions and, and as you get plugged in, be connecting with Josh, if you would. Uh, and he's putting together a team that also is going to help uh, in supporting growth groups. So that's going on as well. So that's kind of what we're transitioning into. But we're just beginning this thing, and, and we just want you to know, as, as elders and as pastors, we love you guys. And we want to do this, this life of marriage together for those of you who are married. As we were in Cana of Galilee, there was a couple with us who celebrated 50 years of marriage. Shirley and Jean Lakey. And their whole time with us was just a joy to watch through, uh, watch their marriage and the way they loved each other. While we were in the chapel at Cana of Galilee, there's all these rules. You've got to sign up to, uh, to do any sort of rededication of marriage together. And, you know, you've got to meet with the nun over here and, you know, get the paperwork. But there was a lull in the, in the chapel. And all of a sudden, there was a ton of people, and then all of a sudden there was nobody. And then so Gene and Shirley and I were looking at each other and they're like, can you do a little rededication for us, you know? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it, you know? We don't live under the law. We're going to do it. <laughs> so we run up to the front and I just wanted to show it to you, this rededication. That's what God joined together. It's God's work. And he wants to live out his beautiful life in our marriages because, see, that reflects the beauty of God. He is the beautiful one. He is the lover of our souls. And he's given us the gift of marriage to, again, reflect that beautiful intimacy that takes place. Beautiful one, O oh Lord. Let's sing, rise together, and we'll sing unto the Lord.